This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, East Sanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hszc.org. Good morning. Good morning. Lovely to see you all. Um, I want to thank Reverend Mio and Reverend David for inviting me. It's always such an honor to take the Dharma seat, um, and especially here, uh, this place that I love a lot. Uh, which brings me to my next little bit, which is uh, I want to apologize. I want to apologize to David and to Reverend Mio and to the Sangha. Um, for a number of years, I would come on Tuesdays and uh, lead Zazen in service and then we turned it into the queer and formal group, and uh, a few years ago I disappeared, which is not how I want to be in the world, particularly with people I love and respect. And uh, so I want to apologize to you all, uh, to Reverend David and to Reverend Mew. Uh, So I'm going to start with a poem by the Buddhist poet W.S. Merwin. Uh, And this is actually a poem I... Often when I'm sitting zazen, it is one of the things that often will float through my mind when I'm feeling particularly settled. And it's called To the Present Tense. By the time you are, by the time you came to be, by the time you read this, by the time you are written, by the time you forget, by the time you are water through fingers, by the time you are taken for granted, by the time it hurts, by the time it goes on hurting, by the time there are no words for you, by the time you remember, but without names. By the time you are in papers and on the telephone, passing unnoticed there too. Who is it to whom you come? Before whose very eyes you are disappearing without making yourself known. I think that um, The longer I practice, the more um, out in the world I am. The question I get asked a lot by people who don't practice is, um, what is Buddhism? Or what is Zen? And lately my answer has been uh, embodiment. Because I find that all of the pieces of what we do in our practice, the forms and ceremonies, but also the way in which we sort of go through our lives and try to live in some kind of awareness, somehow connected to something settled and upright, 
all of that stuff kind of points me back to just this skin bag. To just this one. You know, we're taught that, uh, that we are Buddha nature, that we are perfectly enlightened, that we are already fully immersed in everything that we need. And that how we connect to that is by just stilling ourselves sitting down, noticing what's happening in our body, noticing what's happening in our mind, allowing that to bring us to a place of settledness, to some kind of upright calmness. And I find that even when I'm not in the Zendo, when I'm out in the world, those places where I'm stuck, those places where I'm having a difficult time, if I can remember to connect to this one, to just take my place, I get closer to that appropriate response. occupy a body that's queer and white, male, cisgender, and uh, pretty disabled. And so when I sit down and when I bring myself to, to connection to this one, it comes with a lot of history, it comes with some baggage, but also just socializations and the ways in which the world trains us to be us, right? And so part of this embodiment, part of this taking our place, is to allow that to, to be known, to, to register, so that our next choice is informed by something close to how I want to be in the world. When I ordained in um, 2006, when I received lay ordination, my teacher named me Daigon Etsudo. Great vow, joyful way. And I started to um, use the first name. And part of the reason for that was is that I really wanted to connect to the idea of vow, right? And so whenever somebody calls me by my name, my thought is vow. So what's 
happened over all of these years is that I continually kind of get reminded that I want to be in the world in a particular kind of way. And then I get to practice more and more connecting to that particular kind of way. Connecting more and more to what it is that we do here. And not so much what we do here on the cushion, but what do we do here with each other? What do we do here that transforms us? That allows us to look a little deeper into our own karmic conditions. And hopefully not act from those karmic conditions, but make different choices according to something closer to our intention, to our Buddha nature, to our best selves. So over 30 years of practice, I continually try, I'm just really clear that more and more I just want to take up this space. To take up this one. What's it like to be me in this body, in this moment? When I look deeply with a quiet, settled mind, what do I find there? Who is it to whom you come? In, um, in Korean Zen, part of the practice is to cultivate this question, what is this? And Cultivating this question is intended to sort of lead you to this place of great doubt. Not the doubt of like, oh, I'm not such a good guy, or not the doubt of, oh, this is really hard, but this doubt of like, really? Is this who I want to be in this moment? Is this what I'm called to? To doubt our habits of mind enough that we can maybe sink underneath them and find something pure. And the great way to, f to start to do that exploration is to Consistently sit down on the cushion and follow your breath and follow this moment and follow our minds. Because what's interesting about zazen, seated meditation, what's interesting about meditation in general is that it, it's cumulative in some kind of way. 
when I'm consistent in my seated meditation, when I'm consistent in my taking time to slow down and pay attention, then out in the rush of the real world, it's so much easier to do that. And somehow, in the rush of the world, I can look underneath my own karmic conditions easier to, to really get closer to that living out my vow. Who do I want to be in the world right now? It's sometimes attributed to Suzuki Roshi, sometimes attributed to Charlotte Joko Beck, uh, sometimes attributed to various other teachers. I imagine over the 2,600 years of Buddhism, it's been said in various ways, but all of the, I've heard it expressed, enlightenment is merely an appropriate response. So maybe our practice is, how do I get closer to that appropriate response? Our practice could be to look at what's in the way of me having an appropriate response. And what can I do about it? follow our mind, to follow our heart, to follow our breath, and to see that they're all one. And then we screw it up, and then we do it again. We keep coming back, we keep coming back, we keep coming back. Um, at least I try to. And sometimes it takes me a little time. I think that's all I have to say. Um, I'd like to invite your questions. Um, as is often my favorite thing to do at the end of talks, um, we could play Stump the Monk. <laughs> Thank you all very much for your attention. Lots of time for questions. How's your practice? Hojo-san. Uh, the past, I don't know, a month or so, I've sat less than I've sat in years past. Uh, Do you have any encouragement to offer? You know, we, we live in these bodies that are so subject to old age, sickness, and death. And sometimes our practice, sometimes our meditation is to just pay attention to what's happening there. 
Darlene Cohen once gave me really great advice as someone who lives with chronic pain. Uh, and she said, in the depths of the pain, see if you can see what else is there. But in order to see it, you have to get really intimate with the pain first, right? And let it, it it's sort of that old koan of uh, let the heat kill you, let the cold kill you, right? We can let the pain kill us enough that we can see like, oh, wait, there's other things happening here. Um, and so often when I'm stuck in bed or I'm in a place of like, I just can't sit, um, either the pain in my body or the anxiety of my mind, uh, I try to just m sink into those and let them have their way so that I can find, well, what else is here? The same we do in Zazen, right? Like it's the same practice. But it's hard because it means we can't be at war in our body. We can't be at war with our disability. We can't be at war with old age, sickness, and death. We kind of have to figure out a way to make friends with those things. Thank you. Kanto-san. Uh, I'm not 100% sure that I agree with your comment that there's this cumulative aspect. Mm. Um, in my experience, the only thing I've noticed that might be cumulative is that today I remember a little more often to return to now mm. than when I first started Zazen. That's one thing I've noticed, but mm -hmm. I don't know if that would be called cumulative or not. <laughs> I may, may have misunderstood. No, but I think that is cumulative. Like, I think that, that we, we get this experience. Sharon Salzberg talks about um, faith as in Buddhism as this experiential learning, right? Because we sit on the cushion over and over and over again, we do, we learn, oh wait, I can, I can return to my breath now. And it gets, for me anyway, I found that it gets sooner if I've sat consistently for a couple, a little while, if I've practiced consistently. But then when I fall out of the habit, it takes a little longer to get back into that, oh yeah, come back, return. I think you're right, but that feels cumulative to, in my body. I also know that, like for instance, the period of Sazen we just sat, I was not doing Sazen. Mm, mm. Whatever that is. Right. I, my wheels were spinning. Right. Like this elongated scenario that went mm -hmm. on for essentially 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and that happens sometimes, and yep. sometimes it doesn't. Right. I mean, we, I know that we tend to think we know what good Zazen is, mm -hmm. and when you are running your story, mm -hmm. that's not good Zazen, mm -hmm. you know. There's a little bit of misperception going on there, I believe. Right. Uh -huh. I agree with you on that too. Because sometimes giving something its full expression means we have to let it run its course, right? 
so sometimes particularly with things that are particularly vexing to me or I'm having a particularly strong reaction to, yeah, I kind of got to let them run out of gas before I can really settle into them. So, yeah, I don't know that that's bad zazen, but, um, and <laughs> it works except on the days that it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> right? And on the days that it doesn't, hopefully we can, you know, make it through the day, wake up the next morning and try again. Um, but this, that judgment about good zazen, bad zazen, <laughs> well, and you've practiced longer than me, so there's a, some kind of way it gives me some kind of encouragement that, oh, wait, my struggles are, you know, like it's just part of the human experience, right? Like nobody gets out of it uh, free and clear, you know? So there's an encouragement for me. I mean, you practice. Uh, a lot longer than me, and so there, there's a way in which that encourages me. <laughs> I'm not sure I can trust anybody that said, oh, my sauce is always totally subtle, totally calm, totally pure. <laughs> I like, what? Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Somewhere there's delusion in that one. Stephen. Hello. Um, I've always liked the teaching about what's the meaning of a life's practice and appropriate response. And I, I wandered around for the first decade that I was practicing, thinking that an appropriate response was one simply that didn't add any more chaos or distress to the world. Mm -hmm. And what's the word appropriate, speaking of judgment, what mm -hmm. does that mean? And then I was reminded and remembered um, that sometimes if what you're engaged in is social justice or um, anti-hate work, um, that indeed, what seems like an appropriate response does cause chaos mm -hmm. and often causes distress of, mm -hmm. of being in some conflict. And so I've, I've been practicing for the second two decades, um, trying to figure out when I hear that teaching, which I still love, it's just all about an appropriate response. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm curious, what does that word mean for you? Hmm. Appropriate to me is something close to um, in accord with, in a, you know, in in some kind of expression of the reality of the moment. And yeah, sometimes it is chaos, but chaos is so empowering and transformative in so many ways. You know, I've never learned from anything other than my mistakes. Like, I don't learn anything when I get it right. It's when my friends come up to me and go, girl. <laughs> so for me, appropriate has this way of like, is it, is it from the place of interdependence? Is it from the place of real connection and and some kind of authenticity, right? Versus a habitual response that just makes me feel better or avoids conflict, you know, or 
um, allows me off the hook a little bit. Um, so that's, when I think about appropriate, those are the things, and it often stems from, am I in my body when I make the response? Because I find that the more I'm in here, like really here, it's so much easier to connect to that, what's really called for. Um, you know, when I'm uh, operating in the world as a chaplain, I spend a lot of time at the bedside and I spend a lot of time trying to just help people stay in the room with what's happening in their world, right? And myself, right? Because sometimes I'm met with things that are difficult or hard or uncomfortable. And, and, yeah, sometimes it's, sometimes it is chaotic, sometimes it is messy, but it's still authentic, it's still everybody's in the room, and we're having this experience together, and that response comes from that place, rather than some agenda I have, oh, I'm going to come in here and help you, <coughs> or some idea I have about how it's supposed to be. Including, oh, you're supposed to be a better person, right? Or you're supposed to not hurt people, or, you know, all of these things. Um, yeah, so that's what it, when I, when I look back on, you know, at the end of the day, when I look back on what I did that day, that's often what I'm looking for, are those places where I was coming from some place where I wasn't even in the room, or wasn't authentic, or whatever. Hi. Hi, Daikon. Thank you. Great to see you again. Um, so, for me, you talked a bit about our great doubt piece. And I didn't hear you. You talked about the great doubt piece. Mm -hmm. And it feels like, at least for me, the sickness, old age, and death, dukkha, separated from what you like, all, all these sort of things. That, at least right now for me, the, the doubt is um, being willing to accept that all those things can be okay. Mm -hmm. Also, somewhat like you said, like when it's hot, sweat to death, when it's cold, freeze to death. And. Um, I've had a misperception probably for, for a lot of the time thinking that this showing up and being connected was a sort of dissolving like mm -hmm. sort of thing that you know you're sort of co-created in this way mm -hmm. but you don't show up yourself kind mm -hmm. of so um, this is rambling uh, how do you find this place or like do you have any encouragement about this very, you know, connected, embodied, sort of, you know, there's this momentary mm -hmm. provisional self mm -hmm. showing up with this openness or doubt about all these things that you are anxious about, mm -hmm. don't want, right. being okay. I think sometimes when we come to practice and we hear about things like the ultimate truth, 
or nirvana or the extinguishing you know and we think and we hear about them as somehow different than our conventional life right uh, and and the truth about that is that they both arise together that this conventional self this individual arises simultaneously with the ultimate this place of formlessness this place of emptiness this place of interconnectedness where we are all one but the only way that i've ever been able to truly experience that ultimate for moments has been completely engaged with this conventional self completely engaged with the form of this one all of the skandhas all of the pieces that make up this moment of me sometimes i get a glimpse of that by by really getting connected here and it happens a lot when i'm with patients or when i'm giving a talk because part of what happens when you take the dharma seat for me is i want to connect to that emptiness so that 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 we all give the talk rather than i give the talk right <laughs> and so sometimes in moments i can touch that but it has to come from oh wait i feel the weight of my body on the cushion i feel this personhood i feel my history i feel the socialization like i i got to connect to this right so there's not a dissolving it's actually more of a more fully being rather than the dissolving right one more or not 